through my visits to Turkey and an understanding of something of the current ministry of, that God is doing in that great place. And I only have just a flash of insight with what I can see and what I've been told. But I've been drawn back to the study of the book of Ephesians this term. It's, my, I think, my favorite book in the New Testament of Paul's letters. And so much is said there about the church. And I've been drawn back to look again at Acts, the end of Acts 18 and Acts 19 and a few things that he has to say in Acts 20 to that group uh, at Ephesus before he leaves. But I had a couple of pictures. In 2006, I had the opportunity to travel with a group of Canadian leaders to uh, do the traditional uh, tour of um, Turkey, which includes the seven churches. And a number of you present have been uh, in Turkey and done, have done different things in terms of your tour. But ours basically did the uh, seven churches. I was excited to be able to go to Ephesus. Last summer, Gail and I were in Izmir for the Baptist World Alliance, and we had an opportunity to take a day trip out to Ephesus, which was only about a 45-minute drive. But I just had a few, a few slides that I hope will come up here. Uh, this is what remains of the amphitheater. Uh, if, you, if we continue to read in Acts 19, we would hear, and I want to refer to this just briefly if there's time at the end of the message, the, the shouting match that took place when there had been, um, really, the, the, the gospel had come and there was threat against, if you can imagine, the silversmiths and the economy, because at Ephesus, uh, this huge amphitheater is there, which seats 25,000. However, uh, in the day, I understand that Ephesus at the time of Paul would have had about 50 to 75,000 people living in the city. So you can understand the role that uh, the amphitheater in terms of drama and all kinds of things that were happening. But around the corner from this place, you can see what remains of the great temple to Artemis. It was known as one of the seven wonders of that ancient world. Ephesus, um, in some people's minds, came only second to Rome in terms of significance in the Middle Eastern uh, world. But why I want to focus on Ephesus today is because there are some things that were going on at that time in Ephesus that I think speak to us about how we approach ministry today. And the kind of confidence. Some of you who are, who are here this morning are graduating from uh, the institution. You're going out into pastoral ministry. You're going out into a number of different kinds of ministries. Others of you who are here today uh, will hopefully be back with us in another term. But between now and then, there are all kinds of ministry opportunities that we'll have. Our world uh, is shaking, in a sense, these days. We're more aware of religious conflict and uh, conflicts that create tensions not only in other parts of the world, but even in our own country. How do we approach ministry today? What kinds of conflicts can we have? Craig would be particularly interested in Glenn. Those of you who are New Testament scholars, Danny. Uh, this, the magnificence of the city of Ephesus at the time was it had been a very wealthy city. And you can go now to these terrace houses and see uh, the magnificence. How many of you here have been to Ephesus already? Oh, Chris, of course. You spent a number of months one summer, didn't you, tour of Turkey? How many, sorry, back road, uh, back road? You have been? Craig, of course, and Glenn. Shauna has been. Others? Danny, not yet. We're going to get you there. So <laughs> there has been, even in a brief number of years, such wonderful excavation in terms of these digs and what they're uncovering. Um, the library would not have been there at the time of Paul when he came. This was something that came later. But this, these statues, these marble statues, 
uh, of what remains of this library. Again, at a place of great learning, a place where the priority, where people came uh, to interact, uh, philosophical discussion, religious discussion, a lot of exchange of ideas. It was a, a very religious city, but it was also a place filled with all kinds of Eastern uh, superstitions. It's a, it's a magnificent uh, place. I was looking at that blue sky as I pulled up this slide, remembering in Fahrenheit it would have been well over 100 degrees the day that we were there, but it, it was magnificent. Again, uh, some of the, um, the stonework in the, in the floors and so on, mosaic. And then I guess this is just uh, giving you a sense of going into the city, uh, what's left. Uh, and again, you see the, 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 uh, the walkway. I hope you'd have an opportunity at some point to go. What happens when you do go on these trips, uh, or even in theological education, you realize these were real places. This really happened. This isn't a book about fairy tales, the scriptures. This is, these are actual places these things actually happen. I might leave that uh, slide just there as we go into uh, this message this morning. It was probably the year 53 when Paul came to Ephesus. Now you think about that year in terms of not really many years after the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. He came to Ephesus and what we read, what Evan read today, could be considered the beginning of his third missionary journey. At the end of Acts 18, you will have just a brief time that Paul came to Ephesus before he went on uh, to sail and to go to um, sail into uh, Caesarea, Maritima, I think, in terms of scriptures, I understand it, and then moved from there to Jerusalem. Then he came back through and he came to Ephesus. These people were on the move. That is the thing that strikes me about the scripture in terms of the movement of people. And these are not... Uh, small areas to be moving about. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly amazed in terms of just the movement of, of people and the movement of Paul. Ephesus would have been the capital of this recently formed um, Roman province, this province of Asia. It was the seat of the governor, and as I've said, it was thought to be only second uh, to, in importance to Rome. Paul came there, and he ends up spending uh, a number of years, for three, the best part of three years, and he had been in Corinth. And I'm also fascinated by what happened to him when he went to Corinth. And actually, the first letter, and those of you who are New Testament scholars, you can jump in here, since we're doing a little bit of interchange. I believe scholars would agree that his first letter to the church at Corinth was written from Probably, says the scholar. <laughs> it has been said by some <laughs> that the first letter to the church in Corinth was written by Paul at Ephesus. But one of the things that strikes me, when Paul was at Ephesus, before he came across to, or sorry, when he was at Corinth, before he came across to Ephesus, uh, there's a lot that was going on in Corinth, but one time in, in prayer, the Spirit speaks to him when he was at Corinth. And it's recorded for our help. It says, God said to him when he was at Corinth, this is before he came to Ephesus, God said to him, 
do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you. And then there's this wonderful little word, and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you, for there are many people in this city who are mine. Another translation has it, I have many people in this city. And although I want to talk about Ephesus, I couldn't help but say to all of us, as we think about him coming into Ephesus, I wonder if he thought the same. When he walked on that road and he came back into Ephesus, he'd been hearing about some things that were happening. I wonder if the Spirit whispered that to him. I have many people in this city. Because I think that's a message that God wants to whisper to us, no matter where we are. God wants to say, I have people. My people are in this place. My people are in this place. And I think sometimes as we think about the changing dynamics of ministry, God needs to say to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yes, there's all kinds of things happening. Will you experience opposition and criticism and being misunderstood? Yes, but I have many people in this place. Keep on speaking. So he comes to Ephesus, this place of wealth and trade, a city with great influence in the region, a political city, a city with a mixture of religions and a mixture of superstitions. A lot of Eastern ideas that were there in Ephesus. It was a religious city and it was the place of the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. People came there uh, to worship Artemis. A pagan city, but a city of education, wealth, so that's the context as he came into that city. Now, the first thing I want to say to you is that Paul, in Ephesus, encounters again the holy. And in ministry, we will encounter the holy. But it isn't very long before he experiences the hellish. And actually, if we have time, and we may not, he experiences the human dynamic with those silversmiths and whatever was going on where the economy was actually affected by the gospel's influence and it created in people a warring spirit. The holy, the hellish, and the human. That's what ministry is all about. And it takes us, it takes us sometimes with the gift of discernment to actually understand what is happening at any particular time. Is this holy? Is this hellish? Is this human? He came in. He encounters some disciples. But they did not know about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He preaches to them. He tells them. He talks with them. He spends time with them. And the Word of God says that they were happy to receive not only the information about Jesus, but to receive the baptism. They had had a baptism which was of John, which was of repentance, of yet something to come. And Paul was able to teach them about Jesus. And it says they were baptized. They were baptized in water in the name of Jesus. But then something happened. Spectacular. 
the Holy Spirit, as he placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they were filled with the Spirit, they speak utterances in tongues, and they begin to prophesy. The Holy Spirit makes himself known in that group of about 12, we're told. And Paul continues to teach in the synagogue, he teaches among these people, until there's disruption, and finally they have to leave, and he goes to this uh, public hall of Tyrannus. We don't even understand really what that's all about. There's not much said about that place in Scripture. And the time of day of his teaching is interesting over that period of time, because there's a gap of the day, because Paul would have risen very early in the morning as a tent maker, he was earning his way in that place, and yet he's also finding a time to teach. He carries on this teaching for a number of years. He encountered the Holy Spirit in your ministry and in my ministry. We need to expect that the Holy Spirit is going to confirm and bless, and people are going to be encountered not only with our words or our lives, but the very. Can you imagine the holy, the holy in Ephesus? And you know what he preached about? If you look carefully, you could miss it. He preached about something that I don't find we talk about very much. He preached about something that I haven't had a course in. He preached about the kingdom of God. Didn't preach about the church. Didn't preach about prayer. of this new order, the kingdom of God, which has been fully present always, but now accessible in Jesus. It's like a door has been opened. You want into the kingdom, Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the door. And when Jesus is baptized, it says, the heavens opened, the spirit comes on him, confirms him to the people. I want to say to you, the heavens have never been shut. The heavens have never been shut. In your ministry and in my ministry, we should expect to encounter the holy. We should expect that. I'd be lost in ministry if I did not expect the presence, the very presence of God to encounter people and to bless them. The power of the gospel, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation. People heard him. People heard him and I believe churches were established in Colossae, in Laodicea, Heropolis. The greatest resource that's available in ministry, while you can learn all kinds of things here, and I'm glad you're here to do that, we hope you will also learn here the greatest Ministry is that of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people. Jesus said the Spirit will convict people of sin, convince them of the righteousness of Christ and of judgment. That's the work of the Spirit. The good news is still good news. Wholeness is found in God's love experienced through Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins available to us through the shed blood of Christ on the cross and the glory of the resurrection. He experienced the holy. I experienced the holy in this place, in your lives, as we share together what God is doing.
But the next scene that we read about and heard about is an experience not only with people, but of the hellish. And it's a mysterious kind of, of text. And we read some of these things and wonder, well, what was really going on in that place? But there is this passage of scripture that just says in verse 11 of chapter 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. God did extraordinary miracles. Now historians tell us and biblical scholars tell us that Ephesus was a place of oriental superstition. It was a place of magic. But it was also a time when God did these extraordinary miracles through Paul. It was a time when exorcisms were being carried out. It was a time when there were itinerants who went around preaching and there, were, there was this itinerant preacher, this Jewish exorcist, who had seven sons. They were going about, and it's interesting because they were wanting to draw upon whatever resource they could draw upon, and they knew that the name of Jesus had power. And so they encounter this person who's obviously uh, possessed with an evil spirit, says seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit said to them in reply, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? These were people who were simply using the name of Jesus. They were not disciples of Jesus. They thought they could co-opt the power of Jesus, probably for their own good. We've seen this in scripture where people wanted even to be paid uh, for such things in terms of drawing in on the power of God and, and, and having all kinds of extra resources. Amazing thing happened. Not only uh, did this event cost uh, these seven sons practically their lives, just as they were beaten and bleeding, but the news of this created such a stir that people were convicted of how they were living their lives. There were even Christian people who were dabbling in magic. How many times in our society do we have Christian people who want to hang on to something else besides Jesus? Well, I'm just going to dabble a little bit over here. Is it okay to kind of mess around with things related to Ouija boards? And I, I think I'd just like to consult them. Maybe I'll go ahead my comrade and see what's going on with the stars. You'll find all kinds of people dabbling in all kinds of things. But my word is be cautious. Be careful. Watch out. When the news of what happened to these seven sons began to get around in Ephesus, it says God's name was praised. Do you know what happened next? People came and they began to burn their books about magic and all these other things. There's this huge bonfire in Ephesus. And it was from Ephesus that this news spread about. You see, I don't know, my passion for students and for all of us is to realize that the presence of the kingdom of God brings about something different than just the presence of human beings. We're not part of some organization, we're part of an organism. The Holy Spirit is at work, and it cre He creates, and this creates all kinds of what I might call static at points, 
that we don't understand. Dr. John was asked this morning in our class, what about the place of spiritual warfare in your ministry? How have you seen that happen? It happens. Sometimes it's as overt as this. But oftentimes, spiritual warfare happens in conflicted people who bring conflict into the church. Did you notice the difference? Conflicted people who bring conflict and don't even realize sometimes that they can be agents of the enemy. But God used all of this for his glory. The last scene, which I'll just mention very briefly, is the human. Because what began to happen there is that the silversmiths were afraid of losing their business. It's hard for us to understand the magnificence of the temple or the place of business as a result of going to this temple for worship and all the, the, um, the small idols that would have been made and so on. I'm not sure what was going on with all of this. I don't know if they gathered up these two men who were with Paul, they found them out, or what happened. But they knew where they were, they went and got them. And they go through a lot. Now Paul is kept back by Christians from going into the amphitheater. But you'll read there how this shouting match went on for a long time until a clerk from the town or from the city came and made sense of what was going on. And when I read this, I thought, I wonder what would have happened if it would have been different. But what seems to have happened is that there was an acceptance that the move of Christianity could be tolerated in the midst of the other things that were happening. But that's for our New Testament scholars to try to help us with, to figure out how this impacted the spread of the gospel, or what would have happened if it would have been different. I would say to you, those of you who are studying missiology, you will know that when the gospel goes forward into certain families, or when the gospel breaks into... You think of the caste system in India, or you think of globally what happens. I remember visiting in, in Belgium uh, to become Christian, what that meant uh, for some people, and the um, intensity of being set apart from family, to be cut off from family. Human relationships sometimes are deeply affected when the gospel goes forward, because the lifestyle change and the demands of scripture and the demands of Jesus under his lordship which we happily engage in, can create such a stir in the family. There may not be shouting matches in amphitheaters, but there are times when being Christian can cost those Christians a lot of criticism and abuse, and even within the family. So the gospel goes forward, you bear it, you give it. It can create great comfort in people, but it also can create great chaos. And what I want to say to you today is, stand back and watch and see what the Lord will do in your life and through your life. Let's pray together. Lord, our best strategic plans we lay at your feet. We know that you're in the strategic plan. But we know that if the plan is not born out of the Spirit, it's simply a plan that we could execute, and certain things could happen. But Lord, we stand back, and we wait, and we watch, and we are excited to participate in the very kingdom of God as recipients of a new nature. 
as those who have been translated from darkness into light. And Lord, I pray for each of us and for us together that we might know that your gospel of the good news of life, abundant life, that's found in Jesus Christ, this gospel does in fact bring such strong and wonderful response, but it also can create chaos. Help us to be ready and watchful with anticipation. Engage in the ministry that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name.